Tonight we'll be in Genesis 23 and 24, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. Guys did a great job while I was gone. I appreciate them filling in. and um, We're going to be talking about purgatory on Sunday. <laughs> Alex calls me and goes, I can't believe I said purgatory. I said, that's all right, man. That's all right. And it's hard. So we're going to talk about purgatory on Sunday a little bit. There's no such thing, just so you know, if you weren't aware of that, there's no such thing. But I said, well, this is kind of a waiting place. You know, you do have to wait there until it's judgment time. So similar. Funny. Great job. Though. I listened to both teachings while I was in Utah, and they just did great. So I really appreciate being able to leave and make sure that God's word's being shared. Let's pray before we get started. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for these next two chapters as we get into Genesis and see the Last week, the work of your son, uh, the foreshadowing what Jesus would do on the cross on the same hill, we see the work of the Holy Spirit tonight. And uh, we so desperately need that as we, Aaron prayed, uh, that we would be taught by your spirit. Your spirit leads and guides us into all truth. Your Holy Spirit always glorifies Jesus. And so we pray tonight that as we go through your word, um, we know that this is the sword of the spirit. And so we pray that... Um, we don't glorify the Holy Spirit, but that we do glorify the Son and the work of the Holy Spirit. That's our heart, is to stay true to the design. In Jesus' name, amen. As we saw last week, or as JC shared a little bit about um, this Mount Moriah, that Abraham would take his son Isaac up on top of the hill and um, would almost sacrifice him, of course, symbolizing the work of Jesus Christ on that same hill 2,000 years later. I like to always put those together, that Genesis 22, Psalm 22, and Luke 22. It's an easy way to remember it, that throughout Scripture, Jesus Christ and his sacrifices foreshadowed, prophesied, and fulfilled all throughout, spanning thousands of years. Um, and it's a beautiful testament to the fact that we have one author of this word, and it is God. Um, it, is, it is the Lord who writes this. And so as we go through chapter 23, not so much, but chapter 24 for sure, we see the work of the Holy Spirit. Amazing. Right after the work of Jesus Christ is foreshadowed in 22, we move into 23 and we see the Holy Spirit looking for a bride for Isaac. Amazing story. Amazing foreshadowing of what God wants to do with us and has Jesus was sacrificed on top of the hill, rose from the dead, disappears as Isaac isn't mentioned in 23 and 24 at all. The Holy Spirit is nameless in chapter 24 of Genesis. We see the Holy Spirit in the form of this servant going to look for a bride just like the Holy Spirit does for us, looking for a bride for Christ and has brought us into his fold. So at 23 is the death of Sarah, Abraham's beautiful wife. And we know how beautiful she was, right? I mean, this gal up until, well, she probably died gorgeous. I mean, she was an amazing woman. Um, don't know what that will be like. Um, it's funny. Um, my mom was in the hospital, got taken to the hospital while I was in Utah. And, you know, you'd struggle. Do you come back? Do you not come back the first time she's been in? And um, is she going to make it? Is she not going to make it? She's kind of that age, that place. She stopped eating. And so there was some uh, drama, I guess. I didn't know what to do. And, um, you know, I was thinking about my dad and, and wanting to be there for him mainly. Mom doesn't um, necessarily know that I'm there or not there at any given day, but sometimes she's lucid and knows that I'm, in the, I'm there in the room and has a short conversation with me or whatever. But I want to be there for my dad. This is how my dad always wanted it to be, though. 
is for her to go first. And some think that's selfish, but it's not, obviously, because he doesn't want her to have to deal with life without him, who he takes care of her, obviously. So it's better if she would go on to be with the Lord first. Um, and, and likewise, I pray that for myself, that Jenny would never have to go on without me because I'm so amazing, such an amazing husband. <laughs> but all seriousness, um, it's a deal, you know, it's a deal to mourn. And a lot of you know what that's like to mourn for someone you've loved for years and years and years. And after 50 years of marriage, after 30 years of marriage, or however long you've been married, literally half of you is gone, just gone. And I've watched that in other people, never experienced that myself, thought about my dad having to go through that. But here tonight we read in chapter 23 what Abraham has to do as he goes through this moment, this time. Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. So Sarah died in Kirjath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham came, Abraham came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. Um, not much you can do for someone in that state except be there. There's words you want to say. Um, you want to encourage people. And please, um, and I try to remember that when I go through this, it's an awkward place to be as you come alongside someone who's mourning because you want to make, and it's natural for us to want to make their pain go away. And you can't. You can't make it go away. It's something they have to go through. And the only thing you can do as someone who comes alongside someone is to go through that with them or at least be available to go. Sometimes I want to be alone. Sometimes I want someone beside them. I'm the kind of person that would just rather everybody leave me alone. It's between me and the Lord and the person I've lost. That's just how I am but not everybody's like that. But as someone who comes alongside, remember that you don't need to cheer them up. Um, they don't have to stop crying. Um, all these things are really important to go through. We were uh, meant to live with the Lord in the garden for a very, very long time, if not forever. And so death, which entered in when the fruit was eaten, is something new and that we're not designed necessarily to go through or to deal with. Loss like that, separation like that is something that has never been a part of God's design, but it is a result of our decision to sin against the Lord. And so that's the, that's the amazing thing of the cross. And, I'm, and I'm, I'm, I'm off script now a little bit, but when Jesus died and descended, that's the first time those two had ever been separated. The son had never been separated from the father. They were never supposed to experience anything like that. They were always supposed to be together, always joyful, always perfect, in perfect fellowship, perfect communion, always. And so although God knows all things, knows his son's going to rise from the dead, knows all these things to go through that when you never had to, shouldn't have had to anyway, it's a big deal. So as we watch Abraham here mourned for Sarah and weep for her. This is something that they just need to do. It's just part of it. It's a horrible experience. There's no way to soften it. So he gets alone. I want to mourn for Sarah and to, and to weep for her. There's both. You'll toggle. Then Abraham stood up from before his dead and spoke to the sons of Heth, saying, I'm a foreigner and a visitor among you. Give me property for a burial place among you that I may bury my dead out of my sight. And the sons of Heth answered Abraham saying to him, hear us, my Lord, 
You are a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our burial places. None of us will withhold from you his burial place that you may bury your dead. Now, these guys really appreciate Abraham way back when that confederation of armies and kings came in and took over that land and actually captured Lot in the process. And Abraham swooped in with his 300 guys and got his nephew back and defeated all those armies. These guys remember that. And so he's He's rose in stature. Now, he is just a Bedouin. He's someone who just travels in his tents. He doesn't own any land. He doesn't have a kingdom. He's not a part of any of their groups. And so that's why he considers himself a stranger and sort of just a sojourner among them. Thanks for letting me roam around. But could I find a place now that I can buy because I'm going to need some dirt? I need some soil. I need a place. We've never had this before. This is a difficult spot. I want a place to bury my dead. And they said, absolutely, you pick. Then Abraham stood up and bowed himself to the people of the land, the sons of Heth. And he spoke with them saying, if it is your wish that I bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and meet with Ephron, the son of Zor, for me, that he may give me the cave um, of Machpelah, which, uh, which he has, which is at the end of his field. Let him give it to me at the full price as property for a burial place among you. Abraham's not one of those guys that likes to barter, you know, and get the cheapest deal or the best deal. He just says, I just need to know what the price of it is. Don't be giving me any land. I want to pay for it. I want to own it. I want to, it's a real estate transaction basically, but I want it to be fair. And I want it to be um, just whatever he says, full price. I don't want to go back and forth with you about that. It's a good place to live. I try to teach that as often as I can Um, from experience. It is a great place to live in generosity. It is a great place to live. There's a freeing that takes place when you release that. And I don't know what it is or how we grew up in the Midwest this way. Maybe it came from a position of not having anything. And so we fought for everything we had. We've clawed our way. We've ground our way up to a place a level, a plateau to where it doesn't matter how much money we have, we will always get the best deal and we grit our teeth to do it. And we stress it and we walk away and we do these things. And I see that as in some ways a good thing. I see it harmful more often than not. And I understand it. But earlier on in in my marriage, um, and from my dad, of course, my dad taught me generosity like none other. That guy, his wallet was never closed to anybody ever. Just never has been, never. Such a blessing. And my mother too. Don't mean to leave her out of that, but it just seemed to be my dad had the money and she wrote the checks for the bills and all that. Just kind of that way. But always, he always had cash and it was always to anybody. And he lived that way. And he was such a happy person, is a happy person, he's not dead yet. He's a happy person, you know. Uh, And so I learned from that, to live that way. To never have that kind of grip on money or what happens is it doesn't have a grip on me. You know, Um, When you don't have a lot and you walk onto a car lot, you just kind of, it's a funny feeling. You just know you're not going to get a deal. I'm always that guy that paid too much, you know, and I've learned to just let that go. It's okay. That's how it works. 
That's how things flow. It's okay to not get the best deal. It's okay to pay full price. It's okay to leave a larger tip than necessary, more than the service is worthy of. It's okay to recognize I'm dealing with people. I saw a great uh, post. Um, some posts are good, some posts are bad, but this was a good one. It was about the Corvette and how the, the miser came along and said, you know you, how many cars you could have bought instead of buying that car? You know how many people you could have fed? You know how many things you could have done with that money? And the guy stopped him and says, I did. By buying that Corvette, I employed the guy who built the windshield wipers. I, I fed the guy who bought the tire. I paid for every, and we got to think that way, you know? Abraham thinks that way. I like him. I understand his heart. Living in a place of generosity is an amazing thing because we have a great example. It's not like it's a JD thing or a, a personal thing. It's a God thing. Our God is the most generous being we'll ever come in contact with. He's generous with forgiveness. He's generous with his money. He's generous with blessings. He's generous with forgiveness, mercy, kindness. That's who he is. He's described that way. Who is he? He is love. He is generous to a fault, many would say. Too generous. Stop. If you've ever been filled with the Holy Spirit, you have to tell him to stop filling you with the Holy Spirit so that you can catch your breath. If you've never been filled with the Holy Spirit like that, I encourage you to seek it and ask him for it. You got to say, stop, I can't handle anymore. I had a, one of those moments. Well, I already talked about that moment, but I had to, um, it was easy letting Seth go at first. Um, um, this time, not so much. It's been a good long week of doing work that I would never do for any of you people, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> but it was hard drive to the hospital or to the, you know, to the airport. Um, um, had to pull over at one point, you know. Um, I don't know what it was this time. Um, with that being said, it was one of those moments where I was so thankful for what God had given me in a son, in a daughter-in-law, in grandchildren praising him for what he's done for him with this house and praising God for all this. And in that moment of prayer, and you get that overwhelming sense of um, what it must be like for a father looking down on his kids, us, you know, you feel that. And I was feeling that and I was having that moment and it was a Holy Spirit moment. And I had to tell God, I've not, I've got to get to the airport, Lord. So anytime you want to shut off the waterworks here, I can get back on the road and get to my plane because I want to see my other loved ones now that I missed tremendously for as much time as I was gone. Our God is a generous God. And to blow people away with your generosity is such an experience without them knowing even, without them giving you a congratulations or thank you or whatever, you just kind of live that way and you walk that way and you leave a wake. You know how a boat leaves a wake behind it? Every Christian should leave a wake of grace, a wake of forgiveness, a wake of faith, a wake of generosity behind them so that everybody who comes in contact with them, their little boat just kind of goes up and down. What was that? They just came in contact with a, a person who represents Jesus Christ. Should never be the other way around. 
It should never be where someone comes in contact with a Christian and says, oh, that was exhausting. What a deal. If I never have to deal with another Christian as long as I live, it'll be too soon, you know? Abraham understands that. I want the full price. I'm mourning. I could get a great deal right now. In fact, everybody in this valley owes me. They should all be, and they did. Remember how it was? Here, take our stuff. Take this, take that, take everything. I don't want any of that stuff. I want full price. I'll pay full price. Now Ephron dwelt among the sons of Heth, and Ephron um, the Hittite answered Abraham in the presence of, his son, of the sons of Heth, all who entered at the gate of his city, saying, No, my Lord, hear me. So they've already talked to him. Hey, Ephron, the guy wants your cave. And then he does. Yeah, he wants your cave. Oh, okay, all right, all right. No, my Lord, hear me. I give you the field and the cave that is in it. You not only have to have the cave, you can have the field that it's attached to. I give it to you in the presence of the sons of my people. I give it to you. Bury your dead. How many times he said? Three times. I give it to you. I give it to you. I give it to you. Can everybody hear me? There's a different kind of generosity, isn't it? That's one that likes to be seen and heard. And Abraham bowed himself down before the people of the land, and he spoke to Ephron in the hearing of the people of the land, saying, if you will give it, please hear me. Thank you. I appreciate it. I hear that you want to give it to me. I understand that. But will you listen to me? I will give you money for the field. Take it from me, and I will bury my dead there. If you want to give it to me, and it's up for sale, let me give you the money for it then. And Ephron answered Abraham and said, My Lord, listen to me. The land is worth 400 shekels of silver. What is that between you and me? That's a way of getting your price in. And that's a way of, oh, it's only 400 shekels of silver. You know? Okay. So bury your dead, he says. And Abraham listened to Ephron. In other words, he heard and read between the lines. And Abraham weighed out the silver for Ephron, which he had named in the hearing of the sons of Heth, 400 shekels of silver, currency of the merchants. So he paid him. So the field of Ephron, which was in Machpelah, uh, which was before Mamre, the field and the cave, which was in it, and all the trees that were in the field, which were within all the surrounding border, were deeded to Abraham as a possession in the presence of the sons of Heth, before all who went in at the gate of the city. That's where business transactions were done. If you didn't know that, not a whole lot of court situations, no paperwork. But if you said it, 20 other guys of the city heard you say it, you're held accountable to what you said. So it was ratified. Now they're going to get the deed. Now they're going to, they've come to the agreement and everybody heard it and it's been witnessed. They're going to actually write it out. And after this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah. Uh, before Mamre, that is Hebron in the land of Canaan. So the field and the cave that is in it were deeded to Abraham by the sons of Heth as property for a burial place. So a clear title was given to him. Now, chapter 24. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. So Abraham said to the oldest servant of his house, I pause there because that's all we're going to hear about this guy. Throughout this next chapter, several times we have the opportunity to say the name Eliezer, which we know from chapter 15 is, is his name. And the Bible's very clear in every other circumstance throughout the Old Testament to name the person. They won't. This is on purpose. This is a glaring omission. 
No time in the Bible will you ever find them not saying the name if they know it. But when it comes to this servant, Eliezer, which means the helper. That's the name. Eliezer means the helper, which we know from the New Testament is the name of the Holy Spirit, the helper. Jesus calls him that several times. But we'll go unnamed because of John chapter 15. The Holy Spirit, whom Jesus is going to send to the church, will come alongside of us to lead us and guide us into all truth, but will always glorify Jesus, will not glorify himself. When you speak of the Trinity, you've got the Father, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We have to be very careful, in my opinion, about talking about the Holy Spirit. We don't want to exalt him because he does not want to be exalted. Sometimes we can do that. As much as I love the power of the Holy Spirit, I love him because he's a gift from Jesus to the church to lead and guide us into all truth. And we need the Holy Spirit. We need him in our lives. It's not an it. He's not a force, an essence. It's the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. We need him desperately. Jesus knows we need him. In fact, so much so that Jesus says, now that you guys are saved, now that I'm going to my father, I want you to go to Jerusalem and I want you to wait in the upper room until I send the helper, the Holy Spirit from on high. And then once you're equipped with the Holy Spirit, then go out and minister, but don't do it without him. The first time Peter speaks after being filled with the Holy Spirit, coming out of the old upper room, chapter 2 of Acts, 3,000 people get saved. And it wasn't a very good sermon, by the way. Says me, right? When the power of the Holy Spirit is behind what you're saying to somebody and he is doing the work through you, there's fruit. There's lasting fruit. It's an amazing thing. And I've tried many times without the Holy Spirit to do ministry. And it is hard. Not that ministry isn't hard with the Holy Spirit. It can be. Don't get me wrong. But it is fruitless. It is me. It gets fleshy. I get tired of it. I get irritated when I don't see the results I expected. Instead of letting the Holy Spirit do it and waiting for him. I love witnessing to people. I love sharing Jesus with people. I joked around about being on the airplane and not talking to people about Jesus because I don't want to because that's my flesh. And if I was to do it in the flesh, that's how it would come across. It would end like this. You need Jesus and I got him. I don't care if you have him or not. I'm going to heaven and you're not. Bud's in. That's not how the Holy Spirit works. That's how I work. I'm okay. You're the one who's not okay, you know? The Holy Spirit waits and he's working on their heart, and he's working on my heart. And when the open door is there, and I step through that open door at the right time because the Holy Spirit's leading me, all of a sudden, it's natural, it's easy, it's smooth, it's good. They come out of the upper room. They're surrounded by all these people who said, what in the world's going on? Peter says, I'm glad you asked. Let me tell you what's happened here. And he simply tells them, that's the beauty of it. He doesn't convince them to know Jesus. He just tells them, that's what... That's what being a witness is. A witness stands up just like in this real estate transaction says, I heard this, that, and the other thing, and now I'm done. And they step back. That's all we do when we witness to people about Jesus. I don't have to convince them to love Jesus. I don't have to. I just go up and say, here's what happened to me. I did this, that, and the other thing. Felt horrible. I didn't know what to do with myself. God came into my life, showed me Jesus was the way, the truth, and life, died on the cross for my sin. 
Amazing transformation took place, filled with the Holy Spirit. And I, it's been great ever since. I've been able to go through all the trials and tribulations this world has to offer with the power of the Holy Spirit and being saved by Jesus Christ. And here I stand before you with joy, you know, testimony over, witnessing over. Do you want it? I'm not sure I bought Okay, you know. Well, yeah, I want that. I'm missing that. I have, I just, I can't find an answer. Well, this is the answer. If you want it, I can leave. Every disciple leads people to Jesus. Every apostle led people to Jesus. They can't save them, but they led them to Jesus. And that's all we're required to do. So we see this work of the Holy Spirit beginning in chapter 24 for Isaac. So Abraham said to the oldest servant of his house who ruled over all that he had, please put your hand under my thigh don't ask me. I don't know why they did this, but they do it a couple times. It's just what they did. I don't think it's exactly what it... I, I'm guessing the translation's a little funny, but maybe it's not. I mean, maybe they're lying in bed and some guy sticks his hand into your thigh and you make... I mean, maybe it's the handshake back then. I don't know. But I'm not one to gloss over that stuff because I read that stuff and it's as weird to me as it is to you. It's like, okay, put his hand under his thigh, I guess. That's what you do. Anyway, I had more to say, but I, I better get on with it. I got a whole chapter here to go. So Abraham said to the oldest servant, put your hand under my thigh and I will make, a, make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven, and the God of the earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but you shall go to my country and to my family and take a wife for my son Isaac. And the servant said to him, perhaps the woman will not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I take your son back to the land from which you came? But Abraham said to him, beware that you do not take my son back there. The Lord God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my family, and who spoke to me and swore to me, saying, to your descendants I give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. And if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be released from this oath. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. All right. Here's your job. Go find a wife. You know, which is how I think it should still be done today. I think that'd be best if the dad or somebody just found the wife or the husband for the kid. I'm kidding, of course. But uh, I think a lot of parents would sleep easier, you know. Uh, so I want you to do this thing. But what happens if she doesn't want to come? That's okay. You, you release. You just give it a shot. I can do that. I can do that. But I want you to notice something about this. As this represents the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit has specifics, has a task, has been given a mission, but is by no means obligated to drag that woman back. This is a choice. We hear a lot about that in the church lately. It's becoming more and more prevalent that it's really just thrust upon you, that you're chosen or you're not chosen. That's the way it is. And you just brought, and you're either saved, you're not saved, but it's the way you're made. You just have to deal with it because he's the potter and you're the vessels to deal with it. And that takes a lot of scripture out of play when you just have that attitude. When we see a perfect example, by God's design, the Holy Spirit's 
sword here written by the Holy Spirit through man, leaving his own name out of that to make sure everybody knows that I'm here to glorify Jesus and not myself. That's why Eliezer's not named. But I am by no means obligated to drag her back against her will. It's a choice she's going to have to make. I will present the opportunity to her. I will let her know what my task is and who has sent me. But she is by no means obligated to follow me back. If she chooses to follow me back, then she will. Otherwise, you're relieved of the oath, he says. So then the servant took 10 of his master's camels and departed, for all his master's goods were in his hand. So he's bringing tribute or the dowry with him. I like that. Expecting, prepared for a successful trip. He thought ahead. Okay, well, I'm going to get this woman. So if I am going to get this girl, I'm going to need to bring some stuff for dad, you know, we're going to do the dowry thing here and, and, and all. Um, the dowry was a simple transaction that took place to make sure that if I ever dump this girl, you've already got, there is no court case, there's no divorce, there's no dividing up. The, she's set for life is the idea, and it's all sitting in dowry waiting in case something happens. Um, they're not buying her, don't get that. That's not what's happening here, but you are giving so that if something you know if it goes south or if something happens, she's taken care of, and so that's what he's bringing with him on these ten camels, all the stuff. For all the master's goods were in his hand, and he arose and went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor, and he made his camel uh, his camels and kneel down outside the city by the well of water at evening time, the time when women go out to draw water, and he said, "O Lord God of my master Abraham, please give me success this day and show kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, here I stand by the well of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now let it be that the young woman to whom I say, please let down your pitcher that I may drink. And she says, drink, and I will also give your camels a drink. Let her be the one you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this, I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. This is what we would call in the Christian world, and if you're new to Christianity, it's called a fleece. We call it a fleece. And we get that term from Gideon in Judges chapter 6, beginning in 36. Long story short, Gideon is, wants to know what he's supposed to do, so he puts out a fleece, literally a piece of wool, outside and says, if it's wet and the ground's dry, then I know that that's what you want me to do. And he's not so sure. It happened just like he was supposed to, and he wasn't sure God really hurt him, so he switched it up. Now make the wool dry and the ground wet, then I'll really know, just to make sure we had the dew point, because weather doesn't change that much. So let's get this dew point down right. And it did. And so he realized, okay, that's what God wants me to do. This is very similar. Um... I like us to walk by faith. I like us to just do things because God told us to, because I know the, the, the voice of my father so well. I'm guided by his eye. I've got my, my face is directly in his face. And when I see him looking in a direction, I look in that direction and I go to where he wants me to go. That's how I want to be led. I don't want to be fleece led all the time. You know, oh God, you know, eventually you need to be able to hear your father's voice and be able to just kind of go being led by the spirit. But I understand this, and I appreciate this about this Holy Spirit, about this Eliezer, this unnamed servant. He wants to do God's will, and he doesn't want to mess up, and God loves that. He loves that about us. God, I am the deaf one here. I'm the blind one. I'm the one who doesn't know, and I'm not sure of myself. Absolutely know you're the creator of the universe, and you're awesome and amazing and can do everything. I know that about you. It's me. I'm the weak link. 
And so God, please don't let me mess this up. And so God, here's the deal. I need specifics. And I want this girl, when I ask her for a drink, she's going to say, can I please water your 10 camels? Then I know she's got to be the one because nobody in their right mind would want to water 10 camels after a long trip. You know how many gallons that would be until they had finished drinking? You got to lower a pitcher into a well up, give some to the guy, pour some in the can. That's camel one. He's going to need five more of these. You know, so that's like 50 or 60 times she's got to drop this thing in the well. So no one in their right mind is going to do this. So he lays it out and gives him a pretty impossible task. Plausible, but pretty impossible to find someone who's going to be like, because whoever does this is going to have amazing character. Amazing character, which is what he's looking for. So please, God, here's my deal. I want to know who you sent out. Let's do it this way. And he, got, you know, here's how I want it to happen. And it happened. Before he had finished speaking, that behold, before he had finished speaking, before he had finished speaking, before he had finished speaking. God knows our prayers before we pray them, but he still wants us to pray them. So he's concluding, and here comes this gal. And so God, she's going to want to, she's going to want to water my camels too. Okay, there she is. You know, already happening. God's like, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, he doesn't. He doesn't shush him up. He's like, yeah, 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 I see where we're going here. I love that. God is very much willing to answer those prayers of ours. I know your heart, Eliezer. I know your heart, whatever your name is, fill in the gap. I know you want to do my will. Let's do it. Let's do it. Rebecca, who was born to Bethuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Naor, Abraham's brother, so it's already a relative of all the people. Here, here they come. Came out with her pitcher on her shoulder. Now the young woman was very beautiful to behold, a virgin. No man had known her. And she went down to the well, filled her pitcher, and came up. And the servant ran to meet her and said, Please let me drink a little water from your pitcher. And he follows through. Doesn't say anything about the camels. Can I get a drink? Now, can I stop for a minute? Well, I'm going to anyway, whether you like it or not. She's doing what she's been doing every single day for her whole life. How, when do you think she started doing this? When she was old enough to carry that pitcher. Go on, get out there, get that. Every single day, maybe a couple times a day, who knows. In the mornings, usually when they did it, get enough water for the day. But she's been doing the same thing. Routine, routine, routine. Small town, small town. How in the world? Am I ever going to find a husband in this tiny little town? I keep thinking about JC and Andrea, you know. And JC, you know, is looking for a bride. And out of nowhere comes Red Oak folks driving down an hour for some godly reason. They start coming to church here and these two lock eyes and they begin their deal, you know. How in the world? She's been doing it. She's been faithful to do it. She's not grumbling and complaining. She's not late. She's the first one out. She's just doing it faithfully, what God's called her to do on that specific day for her mom and her dad and whoever, the household. She's faithful to do what she's called to do. It's her role. It's her job. It's, it's, what, it's what's on her shoulders at this time. And God uses it. 
It's not impossible. I don't have to go looking. I don't have to figure. Adam, how in the world was Adam going to find a wife? God made one from his own rib, from his side, took a piece and made it. If God can get a wife that way or get a wife this way, believe me, God will find you. You single folks out there who are waiting on God, you just go about your day. You do what's in front of you and you do it wholeheartedly because you have no idea who's watching your character. Some young lady's been looking for a husband, but I want him to be godly, and I want him to be a man of God. I want him to love Jesus. Maybe she's watching you right now. She wants to see, don't be late. Do your job. Work hard. Be kind. Be generous. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Do what it is you're called to do right now as a single man for God, and he'll bring you a wife. Likewise, young ladies, the same thing. Do what God's called you to do. He may be watching right now. Now, don't do it that way. Now, I've probably spoiled it, you know. I wonder who's looking at me now. You know, no, don't, don't be looking around. <laughs> He'll come. Let God bring him. Let him. It'll be beautiful. It'll be beautiful. He works like this. Can I have a drink of water? So she said, drink, my Lord. And she quickly let her pitcher down to her hand and gave him a drink. And when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. That was her idea. Going above and beyond. Yeah, here's your drink. Sorry about your camels. She doesn't say that. Let me get some for your camels too. Until they've finished. So she loves animals. You know? And she loves this guy. And she just loves, she's just a sweet gal. Let me do this for you. Then she quickly emptied her pitcher uh, into the trough, ran back to the well to draw water, and drew for all his camels. She ran. That's what stuck out to me this time. I've taught this several times. This little gal doesn't go, I get it. One, two, three, four, five, ten camels, you know. She ran to go get water. This is going to take some time, and they're thirsty, and they're, that pitcher that I just poured in there is already gone. You can just see her. I love it. She ran to do it. I mean, it's, she's doing it with vigor. She ran back to the well to draw water and drew for all of his camels, and the man wondering at her remained silent so as to know whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. Don't you think he'd know by now? What's he waiting for? What's he waiting for? waiting for her to finish. He's waiting for her to finish. Is she going to quit? You know, five. Hey, you know what? I'll leave the picture here. I think I hear my mom calling me. I mean, anything could have happened, but nope. He waits for her to finish. So it was when the camels had finished drinking that the man took a gold, a golden nose ring weighing half a shekel. So nose piercings are fine. Those parents, you have a hang up with it. And two <laughs> parents are just like, I'm going to punch you afterwards. <laughs> if you're going to do the nose ring, do one on the side thing, you know, like the stud. Don't do that one. I don't, that one just looks funny. It looks like a bull or something like that. It looks like, it doesn't look right, but that was, that's okay. The one on the, I don't, you know, I don't know why you can put a hole here, but you can't put a hole here. What difference does it make? It's, just, it's okay. Anyway. So he grabs this uh, first thing. You've been waiting for a nose ring your whole life, aren't you, honey? Here, here's a nose ring weighing half a shekel, and that's a little much. You have a long nose after a day wearing that. <laughs> and two bracelets for her wrist weighing 10 shekels of gold. Um, 
Sorry. (laughs) And said, whose daughter are you? Tell me, please. Is there room in your father's house for us to lodge? So she said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, Milcah's son, whom she bore to Nahor. Um, Moreover, she said to him, we have both straw and feed enough and, and room to lodge. Of course, hospitality, gift of hospitality, makes him feel at ease. Of course, we have room for you. And if we don't, we'll make room for you. You know, that's the heart behind her. Then the man bowed down to his head and worshiped the Lord and said, blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his mercy and truth toward my master. As for me, being on the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. What are the odds? So the young woman ran and told her mother's, uh, her, her mother's household these things. You wouldn't believe what happened to me at the well today. He's right behind me. Ten camels. He's got a bunch of stuff. And look at this nose ring. Where'd you get the nose ring? You know, the whole thing. <laughs> I love this. Man, if you've been called by God and he has blessed you with his grace and you've received his forgiveness and you are a child of God, do this, do whatever ministry he's called you to do with this kind of vigor, with this kind of joy, with this. She's just got finished all the work and she's got more ahead of her now. But she's joyful about it and excited about it. Now, Rebecca had a brother whose name was Laban and Laban ran out to the man by the well. I bet he did. Nice gold. So it came to pass when he saw the nose ring and the bracelets on his sister's wrists, Get that? It's his sisters. Laban will come in and play later on, just so you know. On his sister's wrists. And when he heard the words of his sister, Rebekah, saying, Thus the man spoke to me, that he went to the man and said, You got any more gold? No. Uh, and there he stood by the camels at the well. And he said, Come in, O blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? For I have prepared the house and a place for the camels. Then the man came to the house, and he Uh, unloaded the camels and provided straw and feed for the camels and water to wash his feet uh, and the feet of the men who were with him. So he's not alone. Food was set before him to eat, but he said, I will not eat until I have told, until I have told about my errand. Now, just that little thing there about all the men with him. There were other men with him. He didn't go by himself with those 10 camels. He had all those other people, right? Okay. Could any of those guys gotten water for the camels? You know what it would have been like for her? I would have had a hard time with that. As I read that, walking up, and I see like seven guys sitting around. You want me to do the watering? Yes, would you? Okay, I guess. You know, a little help? Doesn't at all. Doesn't even phase her. What am I? Just a woman? You know, there's none of that. There's none of this. It's just you bet. It's not about that. It's about me being a person, being kind to some travelers and taking care of them, having the gift of hospitality. It's not about their character. It's about my character, you know? And there she is doing her thing. She's not worried about what, who's not doing what they're not doing. She's doing what she's supposed to do. Beautiful. So he's excited. Yeah, I've got it already. Come on in. I will not eat until I have told about my errand. Speak on, he says. So he says, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has blessed my master greatly. He has become great and has given him flocks and herds and silver and gold and female and male servants and camels and donkeys. My, and Sarah, my master's wife, bore to him a son or bore to him has, uh, and given him all that he has. Now, my master made me swear saying, you shall not take a wife for my son 
from the daughters of, Canaan, of the Canaanites in whose land I dwell, but you shall go to my father's house and to my family and take a wife for my son. And I said to my master, perhaps the woman will not follow me. But he said to me, the Lord, uh, the Lord before whom I walk will send his angel with you and prosper your way. And you shall take a wife for my son from the family of my father's house. You will be clear from this oath when you arrive among my family, for if they will not give her to you, then you will be released from my oath. That's my deal. And this day I came to the well and said, O Lord God, if my master Abraham, if, uh, of my master Abraham, if you will now prosper the way in which I go, behold, I stand by the well of water and it shall come to pass when the, vir- when the virgin comes out to draw water and I say to her, please give me a little, a little water from your pitcher to drink. And she says to me, drink and I will draw for your camels also. Let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son. But before I had finished speaking in my heart, there was Rebecca coming out with her pitcher on her shoulder, and she went down to the well and drew water. And I said to her, please let me drink. Then she made haste and let her pitcher down from her, from her shoulder and said, drink, and I will also give your camels a drink also. So I drank, and she gave the camels a drink also. That, so he's really going over this in detail. Why is he doing that? Of, of all the wasted parchment, honestly, it could have just said, and so I told him the story, and he heard it and agreed. He goes through all of it verbatim. Why? There's a portion in Scripture that says that you need to, if you're going to have a vision from the Lord, you need to impart that vision to others. Write it so that the one who runs with it can read it. Okay? It's an obscure passage that we use in a lot of different ways, but I believe it's very important to communicate what God has told you to do, what he's called you to do, to let other people know, no, here's what I heard from the Lord. Here's my story. Here's my witness have your story. Eliezer doesn't have to tell anybody's witness, any other story. He doesn't have to do any. He can just tell the person across from, here's what God did today for me. Believe it or not, this is what he did. And so he tells this, and the Bible takes the time to say, share that with other people. Just like Eliezer does, the unnamed servant here. Do that. So I asked her, whose daughter are you? And she said, the daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Milka Milka bore to him. So I put the nose ring on her nose and the bracelets on her wrists. And I bowed my head and worshiped the Lord and blessed the Lord God of my master, Abraham, who had led me this way of truth to take the daughter of my master's brother for his son. Now, if you will deal kindly and truly with my master, tell me. And if not, tell me that I may return to the right hand or to the left. So what will it be? Can I take her home with me? <laughs> we haven't even eaten together yet. Who are you, dude? You know? I just need to know right now. Blunt. Honest, blunt, right out there. Oh, it's refreshing. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, The thing comes from the Lord. We cannot speak to you either good or bad or, bad or good. Here is Rebecca before you. Take her and go and let her be your master's son's wife, as the Lord has spoken. Now, he's not saying... Pack your bags, honey, you're going with this guy. That's how it reads. Because later on, he's going to say it's up to her. So it's not like that. But they are saying, we're not holding her back. Do whatever you want to do. You know, it's completely up to her. This is the thing of the Lord, you know. Good for them. That'd be tough. Okay, let's see. And it came to pass when Abraham's servants heard their words 
that he worshiped the Lord, bowing himself to the earth. And the servant brought out jewelry of silver, jewelry of gold and clothing, and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave precious things to her brother and to her mother. And he and the men who were with him ate and drank and stayed all night. And they arose in the morning and said, send, send me away to my master. But her brother and her mother said, let the young woman stay with us a few days, at least 10 after, she, after, after that she may go. Um, they didn't want to let go of her right away. It's kind of abrupt, you know. And he said to them, do not hinder me since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away so that I may go to my master. So they said, we will call the young woman and ask her personally. Then they called Rebecca and said to her, will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. She's never met her husband. She's never seen her husband. He could be ugly. Fat, couldn't make it, you know, couldn't even get on the camels. She doesn't have any idea what this guy looks like. She's probably had her pick of all the guys around her. He could be, who knows how old. We don't even know how old this guy is. Look at her faith, though. She trusts in the Lord. Whatever this guy looks like, whatever it is, I know it's from God. It doesn't make any difference what he looks like. It doesn't make difference. God's doing this. She recognizes it spiritually as a work of the Lord. And she says, I'll go. And so they sent away Rebecca, their sister, and her nurse. So she gets to bring someone with her. And Abraham's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebecca and said to her, Our sister, may you become the mother of a thousand of thousands of ten thousands. And may your descendants possess the gates of those who hate them. That was their blessing to her. She goes. Guys, if she represents the bride, which she does. Remember when Jesus said to um, poor Thomas, remember Thomas says, I'm not going to believe unless I can put my hands or my fingers in, his, in the holes of his hands in the side. And he says, Thomas, you've seen. And, and, and I'm glad, you know, it's a paraphrase. But blessed are those who have not seen. And believe. That's us. As great as the apostles were, as wonderful as the disciples were, they were with him for three and a half years. They witnessed all those things. They held him. They handled him. They talked with him daily. None of us have. We have, in a sense. I know. I'm not saying that the Word of God isn't the Word of God. It doesn't speak to us. I'm not saying we don't fill with the Spirit. But honestly, we've never visually seen Jesus sitting next to us. We've never wrestled him around the fire or whatever they did together as a bunch of guys traveling around talking about God and repentance, you know. So please know this, that by faith you've come tonight and by faith you have a relationship with Jesus. You are literally like Rebecca here, who without knowing, listened to the Holy Spirit, trusted that this is a work of God and have believed on him for salvation. And that is the only way you're going to get to Isaac. That's the only way you get to Jesus is by believing. And that's, just, that's the beauty of this. I make light of it. I make jokes about maybe what Isaac could look like. doesn't matter. We don't really know what Jesus looks like. All those pictures of Jesus, guarantee that's not what he looks like. Guarantee it. We're going to walk up and say, you don't look anything like your photos, you know? <laughs> I didn't know that. You got short curly hair, not blonde, flowing, blue-eyed, whatever. <laughs> then Rebecca, let's finish up. Then Rebecca and her maids arose and they rode on camels and followed the man. So the servant took Rebecca and departed. Now Isaac came from the way of 
Bir Leha Roy, and I know that's how it's pronounced, but that's the best I can do tonight. For he dwelt in the south, and Isaac went out to meditate in the field in the evening. He's talking with the Lord. And he lifted his eyes and looked. Now, you know he's praying the same thing. You sent who to go get who? <laughs> Dad? Eliezer's going to bring back a good one for you, son. Really? Oh, God, please, Lord. You know? I'm kidding. He's probably just saying, Lord, this is going to be great. He trusted his dad going up the hill last week, right? I mean, after that, everything's easy, you know? And he lifted his eyes and looked, and there the camels were coming. Then Rebekah lifted her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from her camel, for she had said to the servant, who is this man walking in the field to meet us? (laughs) The servant said, it is my master. That's your husband. And so she took a veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things he had done. Then Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent. And he took Rebekah and she became his wife and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted by his, or after his mother's death. That was fast. Beautiful picture. When we go up to heaven, when we get there, and we walk in and we see him for the first time, we're going to say, no, that's him. You know, and he's going to look at you the exact same way Isaac looked at her. No matter how you think he looks at you, no matter how the world thinks you, no matter how I may portray him in funny ways that aren't accurate at all, and I'll hear about it later, I'm sure. This is a perfect representation about how God sees you. Jesus sees you as his bride and how we see him. It's going to be amazing. You're way better than I thought. Way better than I told you're not even half of what was told me. You know, It's going to be a great time. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this beautiful picture. All jokes aside, Lord, and forgive me if I overstepped. Thank you for this. We know who you are. You talk about yourself. The volume of the book is written about you, and we can't wait to meet you. But when you put it in story form like this, and we can see it, it brings peace to our hearts. It makes us comfortable inside. It makes us, I don't know, so much closer to you reading stories like this and understanding that this is what you wanted us to learn about our relationship with you. So we're excited about meeting you. We're as excited as Rebecca is riding on those camels, just waiting. I wonder, I wonder, I wonder. We can't wait to see you. We know that you're also interceding for us constantly. We thank you for that, God, because that's what Isaac is doing, interceding praying, bring her back safe, get her here safely. And a place is prepared and they went in together and, 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 and we just can't wait for that moment, Lord. So thank you for that tonight. We needed it. It's a blessing to be in your presence. It's a blessing to have your Holy Spirit teach us tonight. It's a blessing you used your sword tonight. Lord, bless these folks as they go, help them to get home safely. We know there's supposed to be quite a temperature drop and a lot of the wet roads will freeze up pretty good. So get them home safely please. We thank you for him in Jesus' name. Amen.